The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. We are going to talk about queuing systems and dog training today, and we are super uber overly excited about it. I can't wait to get into this conversation. Yep, but first, we're going to start with the quirky tip of the day. And I would say... To try and summarize what this podcast is about, if you're having a communication breakdown with your dog, implement some physical direction. Help the dog physically rather than just keep yelling whatever it is you're trying to communicate with them and they're looking at you like, I don't have a freaking clue what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. Get down there and like we have one dog that can't hear and it's great because Jess continuously yells at the dog. <laughs> the dog is like looking at the wall. And if I go over and just do this, like just give him a little wave, he's like, oh yeah, no problem. And he shoots right to his crate or does what he needs to do. But he needs a little bit of a hand gesture to get him moving. As an example. Scott's always like, he's deaf, he can't hear you. Yeah, you don't need to keep yelling. I think he has selective hearing. All right, so we are going to talk about different cueing systems. We're mostly going to focus on like verbal cueing, physical cueing. We'll talk a little bit about some tactile cueing. But this is something that Scott had mentioned, and it really is a poignant topic in pet dog training in this day and age. Because how often do you see someone, they come home with a rescue or a brand new puppy and they just look at it and they say, sit. Like they don't even necessarily, they might grab a cookie, but they don't do anything with the cookie. They just start speaking to the dog and then they start like speaking louder or, you know, with more like frustration or consternation. And the dog's looking at them like, I don't understand what the heck you mean because it probably has never heard sit in its life. So there's a lot of little nuance that goes into how we train behaviors and break them down. And a lot of that transfers into a dog when they go home. So sometimes when we're doing a return or a follow-up class or something, the dogs are working for us great and they're working for the owners not as well, but that's just because there's some simple physical cues they're missing. So we're going to break down a lot of that today. Yeah, you mentioned sit and you said they've probably never heard sit in their life. Sit is something that 99 dogs out of 100 have heard and that it's an exercise or a behavior that the dog does do for the owner. Or if it's a puppy But it doesn't puppy, mean that they will puppy. do it. They don't always do it on a verbal cue. Yeah, yeah. They do it typically because as a puppy, they had food in the hand, they lured the sit, and this becomes the physical gesture. Mm -hmm. So the dog does it when they do this. And Scott will do that a lot. We'll get a new dog in and, you know, we'll have him next to us and he'll say sit and the dog won't do anything. And he just immediately goes to like lifting the hand like with food or without and maybe saying it then. And I would say five out of 10 times, the dog does then take the physical gesture and they're of able course. to sit. Yeah, they're, they're accustomed to seeing that. So... We wanted to discuss the verbal cues, the physical cues, um, even sounds like whistles and things yeah. like that. Pigs, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and the tactile stuff, because there's a lot of stuff out there that when you're touching your dog in a certain way or you're cueing them in a certain way, it really changes them, but it has to do with physical touch and how you're maybe creating opposition reflex or how you're calming them against your legs or whatever else. All right, so let's uh, talk about this. I bed. Just, Go ahead. Just touch on that tactile um, cue. Quite often, uh, and I've done this not even being super conscious of it, but it's a great release cue in addition to the verbal free, giving a little pat on the shoulder. And it's nice because 
the dog is expecting both cues yeah. to be released. So they're not going to break thinking they heard someone say free. I mean, they associate free, and I'm using the example of the dog is on a dog bed, a pet cot. So when I release the dog, I may come up, go over to the dog, good boy, free, and give him a little tap on the shoulder. And they know, okay, I'm free. I can go do what I want to do. Yep. And um, it's nice because the other reason that I like that is because I don't want people to get in the habit of releasing their dog from 10 or 15 feet away. The dog is running off the bed to the people and getting rewarded, whether it's jumping on the people, getting a treat, because now they're excited about running off of a bed that we want them to stay locked into. Yeah, it is a nice way to double cue them that the exercise is over. So let's talk about when you were doing a follow-up class the other day and the client was directing the dog to the bed and how there was a little bit of well, there was loss in communication. There was a lack of direction to the bed. And that's why, that's what made me think about this. The dog knows to get on the bed and stay on the bed. It's not a problem. It's a fairly easy behavior to teach, but it was new. I had the dog, Jess and I had the dogs for a couple of weeks and so what I tell everybody is before you incorporate the, <clears throat> the verbal cue, you want to make sure the dog can actually do it with some physical help. And so I tell people, I always use the analogy, it's like a plane coming into the runway. So you're not going to tell the dog to do to, with the verbal cue of place or bed or spot until the dog's actually moving towards it. You know it's going to happen. And as soon as you say it, it's done. The dog is here in bed. They're on the bed, they're getting the treat. And then you can put that physic, uh, the verbal cue to that easier, and you're starting to phase out your uh, physical gesture. But even that being said, if you're in the kitchen and you have food all over your hands, the dog's under your feet, and you want to get the dog on their dog bed, I wouldn't just stand there with my hands up in the air looking at the dog saying, bed, bed, because the dog's looking at you. They're distracted by you got food and whatnot. I'd say, come on, let's go. And they would come with me towards that um, direction of the bed, and when there's a straight line where the dog can see it, then you can say bed or place, and the dog is already in motion going towards it. And it's also the same thing if, if a dog is lying comfortably in the sun by a, a, a door, and they're just really comfortable. Giving them a straight verbal cue, they're not typically not going to get off their ass, even if they know what to do. They're like, hey, I'm, I'm just really comfortable here. So you want to, okay, come on, let's go. Get them up and moving. Now they're, they're moving. Now you can give them a verbal cue, assuming that they have a very good um, understanding. And the exceptions to all this would be a highly trained dog. Uh, and I'm talking about a service dog that maybe a quadriplegic owns this dog. They're not able to give a lot of physical cues. And that dog has to be highly trained where you just say, hey, Rover, turn on the lights. Dog gets up off his butt, goes over and flips the light switch for you. That's yeah. like, that's the epitome of the straight verbal cue without motivating. You're not going to get in treats first. You're not, because you, you can't. And the dog is a working dog. Yeah. And the verbal stuff is more difficult than people realize. Like to have dogs on straight verbals is not just a hop, skip and a jump. You're normally doing something, you know, a little bit of a cue with your hands, a little bit of a cue with your body somewhere. Maybe you're looking a certain way and everything else. And the dogs really pick up on that stuff. So then when you're just stoically sitting there, you know, barking commands, asking for commands, whatever else, the dog may have some confusion and some fallout because they're so used to seeing that physical presence. And this is something 
thing, I think that dogs learn by the physical cues easiest. They're able to see a cookie, see it go over their head. They sit, they see the cookie go to the ground, they lay down. It's the easiest system to implement. And yes, we want to then label what those cues are that we're doing and luring with treats and everything else. But just going on a straight verbal is quite difficult. It's very hard to have a lot of verbals on a dog, I would well, say. Well, I would say it's not a natural way for dogs to learn. Yes. Dogs learn by physical uh, activity with each other. If one dog wants to play with the other dog, they don't say, hey, you want to go play? They do a, a play bow. <laughs> yeah. And that's the cue. Oh, this dog wants to play with me. Now, that dog can make a choice of walking away or engaging, but they know exactly what's up when that other dog starts play balling around them and bouncing around and being all playful, you know? Yeah, like, no, it's true. That's basically my behavior all the time. <laughs> you play balling on the podcast <laughs> is a whole new thing over here. It's very exciting. All right, let's pull up this video super quick. I took it this morning. Um, this is my dog, Sink, and we were just talking about dogs that have verbals, and Sink probably had the most of all of our dogs. So I um, am just sitting there with a the ball. I'm trying not to cue too much, but to us, this is like verbal cueing and a dog just working on verbals only. Spin, good. Spin, good. Turn, sit, free. Good girl. Out. Sit, down, back, back, free. Good. Out, back, back. Good. Free. Mark. Good. Ready? Around. Good girl. Get it. So maybe I was doing some minor things here or there. Um, the reason that she was spinning and uh, again, and then she had to sit turning away from me is because she was anticipating me to cue her that one way. And it was interesting when I was doing this this morning, I edited the first video because she backed and she barked right after she backed, but she wasn't able to physically back without putting herself in a down first. So that must be a pattern for her that she's used to pushing out of a down to back up. But these are little games that I played with her. She's going to be 12 in March. And this is little like just BS stuff that I do as brain games and teasers to keep her thinking and keep her sharp. But it's difficult to have to discern all these little things when I'm not sitting there and helping her at all. So when we're talking about verbal communication, verbal cueing, to me, that is like you're doing absolutely nothing with your body. You're like dead as a doornail. Even maybe holding the ball is more of a cue than it should be. And the dog is just listening to the verbals. Yeah. And I would say it's, it's really not necessary, I don't believe, to get your dog to work at the level that Jess's dog does. But it's necessary to understand how to communicate with your dog. Yes. And that's the most important thing. When, when I was involved in dog sports, we were not allowed to use any type of physical cues. So we would be proofing our dogs in training all the time with, it, it was ex, sometimes it was extreme where people would, the dog would be, you know, 40 feet away, 60 feet away. And you're telling your dog, sit, stand, down, a uh, series of behaviors. But we would sometimes just be, moving our mouth and not making any noise to see if they're just reading the face. And then some people would go as far as to turn their back to the dog, look in a mirror to see their dog and start giving cues without, because when you're not facing your dog, there's a, a total disconnect, disconnect with yeah. the dog. Yeah. So it's interesting. And there really isn't any need to proof a dog to that point, but you do. And another example is when you tell your dog to come. So that's the, you know, you've taught the dog come, the dog is coming to you, but there's a lot of physical cues that you're giving um, when you're teaching, you want to be careful not to just go completely cold and not give now just stand there stoic and say, dog, come. And they look at you and for a second, maybe there's that disconnect. And I tell people, kneel down. If the dog looks slightly confused, kneel down, clap your hands, invite them, help them to come to you. There's a difference between a dog blowing you off, yeah. not understanding the, the command 
and maybe having a little bit of a disconnect in a moment and you want to just help them with some physical gestures, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I would say even with calm, that is one that you should aim maybe to get on a verbal more so than other commands because sometimes the dog may be, you know, around a bend or whatever on a hike and you may not be able to give that physical stuff right away because they don't necessarily have the connection with you. And yes, there's no reason that you need to teach, you know, six to 10 to 20 to however many behaviors just in a verbal. It's a fun training thing that I do, but it's difficult for the dogs just to be interpreting that verbal. And I want to make that clear to people because so often everybody's like, well, I told him to sit. I told him to wait. I told him to leave it. And maybe the dog fully understood that and just decided, no, I'm not going to. But more often than not, the dog wasn't getting as much feedback and communication from the owner as he or she needed at that point of his learning journey, in our opinion. Yeah. And I would say another, uh, not an issue, but another thing to consider with Jess's dog in that short video, she had the reward object right in front of the dog. The dog wanted the toy. So the dog is thinking and focused. And what do I got to do to get the toy? Spin? Okay, I got to go right. I got to go left. So the dog is processing quickly. If you you can get a dog to that point, if you take the ball now and toss it over to the right and then tell the dog to do stuff, now that toy is a distraction being off to the right or left of the dog. And the dog is now thinking, oh, shit, can I get that toy? Or do I have to listen to her? What do I got to do? So there's all these proofing uh, things that you would do to get the dog on a straight verbal where you don't have any food in your hand, you don't have any tr- uh, toys, tug toys, balls, or anything like and the dog is working. But you want to make sure you have the dog's attention, even with a dog that is highly trained. If they're not paying attention, yeah. you need to get their attention before you cue them to do something for you. Because if they're not in the same world as you, yeah. it doesn't matter how well they're trained, they're not going to respond yeah, they appropriately. Have to be, they have to be in a working state of mind. All right, let's go to break super quick. And when we come back, we're going to talk all about queuing systems more and more and more. Want to keep up with all the latest from the Quirky Dog Podcast like me and Murphy here? Then make sure you head on over to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Or if you prefer to listen to the madness, go on over to iTunes or Spotify and follow the Quirky Dog Podcast. And hey, while you're there, leave a rating and review and let them know what you think of the show. Until then, keep it quirky. (laughs) All right, we're back. Okay, let's talk about some tactile communication. So what are some of your thoughts that you like? What what do you consider that you do as far as tactile communication, either with pet dogs or your dogs? I know you talked about releasing dogs off the bed and patting them, but what are some other examples that you use, you think? Well, I I personally don't use a lot of tactile. I can give you some some theoretical or some things you could do. Like if you had a dog that's deaf, we could use an e-collar and the vibrate mode to get the dog's attention when they're not looking at you. I'm I'm just talking Uh, about like touching dogs. Like, do you think that you have any cues that you use for your dogs with touching your own dogs or no? Well, I certainly, if I, if I'm telling a dog to sit and they're not sitting, I'm going to help them physically into the sit by touching their, touching their rear quarters. Yeah. He's As an additional cue, hey, I want they know what to do, and I'm just that touch. Quite often is like the reminder. Oh yeah, I have to sit. Um, so that would be another yeah. example. I, I'm, I guess I'm thinking like if you're you know taking Custodio to go outside and you pet him on the side and then you kind of smack him on the side, that you know, brings him into a state of arousal. I, I do use a lot of tactile yes. stuff for. <laughs> I'm trying well, to get there, <laughs> but it, I wasn't thinking about. Um, cueing a behavior, but to create arousal. Yes. Just, just tactile, just communication, just basic communication. So So how are you communicating tactile? If I, when I'm healing with my dog, if I give him a little tap on the shoulder, just a little pat, like a, 
he's going to get pumped. He's yeah. going to start jumping. He's going to be up into my armpit. And like, up. oh, okay, we're working. This is yeah. going to be friggin' awesome. Yeah. And I so, would say the same thing with me in a sense, and I'm thinking more with our personal dogs. Like, if I'm going to sit there... And there's, of course, behaviors like Brenda A. Loft's Be Still. If you're not familiar with that, I would highly look into her and that exercise and everything else. It has a tremendous amount of value for any dog out there. So you can do some tactile stuff where, like, you're putting a dog against your legs and you're just trying to calm them down or you're trying to, you know, settle them at the vet, get them in a different headspace. More often than not, Scott and I are trying to bring dogs up in arousal because we're getting more sport-bred dogs. We're doing more performance kind of stuff. That's what we like out of our dogs. So, like, to me, if I just slowly pet a dog and then I smack them at the end, that's going to kick them into a state of arousal. If I'm sitting there and I'm just petting, 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 and then I maybe go to like grab their collar and pull back, that's going to kick my dog into arousal. There's different ways that I can cue my dog that they're just like normal dogs doing nothing. And then they're like, oh my gosh, it's go time. So Scott and I use tactile communication quite frequently for the, the go time stuff where we want the dog to maybe bring his energy up a little bit. Maybe he's a little fearful of something he sees over there. Okay, you're doing fine. You're doing great. Let's focus back here. We use it a lot in that sense to bring arousal up. However, I would invite you guys to consider using it to bring arousal down and to bring calm to the dog. What were you going to say? I was going to say that with client dogs, we get a lot of dogs that have a lot of fear issues. So I definitely use that touch to build trust. Yeah. I mean, excuse me, they... They don't know who I am. They're nervous about everybody. They got the wide eyes. They're, they're looking kind of sketchy. I need to be able to touch them and, and get them to feel okay with that. It doesn't mean I'm getting all over them and working them through a lot of stress. But just when I, you know, they're taking treats from me, I'm going to give them a little, little caress on the head. Good boy, come on. And just start to get that physical communication going because that's a bridge there. You can, you know, with dogs that are fearful, you can accomplish a lot without ever touching them. Yeah. But you want to build trust. Yes. You want them to feel safe with you. Yes. So I want to be able to touch them and have them feel like, oh, I'm okay with this person. He's he's my friend. He's not someone that's out to harm me in any way. Yeah. No, definitely. And, you know, you'll see it sometimes with dogs and owners when they're working in a behavior. Maybe they're working on loose leash walking. Maybe they're working in the bed. And the owner goes to praise the dog physically. Just even pat them like Scott's talking about or scratch their head. And the dog gets all squirrely or like totally breaks out into play, jumps off the bed, flies out of loose leash walking position and everything else. So you're learning a lot about the way the dog and the owner communicate in that sense too. Any kind of physical petting or physical touch is making the dog feel like, oh my gosh, it's playtime, we're over it. So then maybe if you have a dog like that, that if you just go and even just touch him on the head or, you know, scratch him by the ear or whatever, he gets so crazy. You can start using your touch as a bit of a distraction. You're almost proofing your behavior doing all that. Like, can I caress the dog on the side of the head while he's holding a sit? Will he keep holding the sit? So every dog responds differently. But the most important point, I guess, of this whole podcast is that each dog may learn better with different cueing systems. So make sure you're mixing and matching and bringing out from different toolboxes to help set your dog out for the optimum amount of success. Yeah, and I will see getting to the the audible cue that um, with our own dogs, with my dogs, I the foundation of their come command is a whistle. Yeah. It's a sport, uh, it's like a soccer coach's whistle. And the reason for that was primarily because it was used in the sport that I used. But the side effect, and what I found so great about that, is going to the beach, going to big, wide-open areas where there's a lot of um, other noise distractions, like the surf and just a lot of noise, that that whistle cuts through everything. From a, from a pet perspective, it's really nice to teach a dog to, do, to recall on a whistle because 
the dog may respond to one person in the household better than others because of their relationship. But the whistle's universal. So then the the wife, maybe more often than not, it would be a woman that is a little quieter in their demeanor. And they say, dog, come. And it's just not really with big commitment. And it's just not with volume. You know, you need to get your voice up to let the dog project. And half the projection is getting their nose off the ground. They're over there sniffing at something. Hey, and you want them to, oh, you talking to me? But if you're calm and quiet, they, it just doesn't cut through the dog's distraction. So a whistle is more universal. They've, res- they've learned to respond immediately to a whistle, whether the kid is blowing it, the mom, the dad, the dog understands how to do it, which is really great. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you want to talk about clicker training. There's a lot of auditory click training with clicker training, a lot of auditory cueing. So you're sitting there, you're loading the clicker, you know, click, cookie, click, cookie, click, cookie. Normally, I don't load my clicker for more than like a session, honestly. And then I just test it. If the dog's out like sniffing somewhere, if I click, do they acknowledge it? Like, this is what I want. And then I'm like, okay, we're good to go. Some people load their clicker more. That's neither here nor there. That's how they do things. But in that system, the dog is honestly waiting for the click. They're doing things until they hear, oh, okay, I did this correctly. And they're starting to learn through this clicking system that like, oh, this was right. This wasn't right. So whatever system you pick and choose in your own household or that you like for your own your own personal reasons or anything else, make sure your dog understands it. Make sure your dog knows what things mean. If you're just clicking all the time to be like, yes, that's what I wanted. Maybe you being like, yes, good boy. And like really emoting and really putting some joy into it will be more valuable to the dog and the dog will be able to learn faster. But sometimes people just get very caught into like, that, you know, I, I did this for come. I did this for come. Well, if the dog isn't looking at you and you do this for come, you can do that all day, and I'm gesturing, just moving my arm into my chest like they do in competition obedience. You can do that all the day. If your dog is not making eye contact with you at that point, the dog is not going to come to you. So you can have a physical gesture for that, but you better pair a verbal or some sort of auditory command, like a whistle or something as well, because these are situations that people get themselves into quite frequently. And your dog is not always just going to be pining on you and have a visual on you. Yeah, that's the, the downside to the straight nonverbal communication. It works good in an AKC trial. The dog is in work mode watching you the whole time. So they're waiting for these cues. But when they're out in the real world playing, they're not looking at, hopefully they're not constantly burning on you because the dog doesn't have a life. He's just looking at you all the time. What do I do next? You know, you want him to be able to be free and get out and have a life. And these nonverbal gestures that we're talking about, these physical cues, if you will, think about how you act in your day-to-day life as well, because you're doing a lot of things to cue your dog. Like if your dog pops up from a nap and runs in to go to the kitchen and you haven't even put your phone down yet, Maybe you uncrossed your legs. Maybe you put your glass down. Maybe you put your phone on a charger. Who knows? But you may have certain patterns that your dog knows better than you now. And they're like, okay, I understand. Like she's done all this and now we're going to go in and eat. So be conscious, especially if you're trying to change your behavior within your dog, of the routine cues, physical cues that you are giving. We have a client right now that in the morning, you know, they go to take the kids to school and the dogs get all excited about that. And Scott's like, just break that down. Like break that down into micro behaviors, see what sets the dogs off. Maybe just work one dog at a time and really figure out where the cue becomes. Maybe it's the kids picking up the backpack. Maybe it's putting the shoes on. Maybe it's putting the plates in the sink. Who knows? But break down when the dogs are really keen on, oh, this is what's next. Because we don't want them anticipating. We want to be the ones that can kind of call the shots. And yes, we all have routines and dogs all fall into behaviors and everything else. But if there's something you don't like, you're really going to need to break down your physical behavior into little micro behaviors as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And I will say, you know, just thinking about uh, when you were talking, I was thinking the best trainers I know 
are really physical trainers. Yeah. They are giving the dog a lot. They're giving the dog physical communication that is just making the dog so excited to be alive and working with this person. And it's a it's a gift. I mean, some these people are just like they're able to communicate and physically with dogs that other people can't even touch. Yeah. Sometimes the dogs look at most people like, "What the fuck's wrong with you?" Yeah, and they true. just get right in there and create a relationship very quickly, which is. It's a talent, and it's something that they've maybe naturally have a lot of natural ability, but they've got a lot of training and a lot of experience so that they're able, they are reading dogs. It's not like they're not reading the dog. They know what's up, you know? But that's one thing that the, the average pet client that I work with, they don't have that kind of relationship. They're doing a lot of physical touch, but to such an extent, the dog doesn't care anymore. Yeah. It so have the same I would meaning. say. And I tell people, when you're going to re- reward this dog, and if it's going to be with get on the floor and play, Really make it a fun thing, and then don't do it just out of the blue all the time, where the dog could care less. It's like, oh, you're you're on the floor. I think I'm going to go over here and lay down in the sun because you're just kind of annoying to me. Yeah, no, it's true. And these things that are popping up, and Scott's right. Thinking about some of the best trainers I know, there is a lot of physical touch going on, especially in the learning phases. And yes, in IGP or in competition obedience or I don't know rally, wherever you want to think that you have healing that you really like to see. Some dogs have beautiful healing and rally. I know it's not always heads up, but whatever. whatever. All of this like really like stoic presence from the handler, that wasn't how they started when they were teaching it, right? Like there's a lot more interaction and tweaking of the body and everything else. All of that stoicism comes in at the end. And just be very conscious. Going back to this quirky tip and what Scott said at the beginning, if you are having fallout by just using a verbal, use a physical gesture. And if you're just using a physical gesture and it's not helping... Amp up your physical gesture. I'm thinking like how many people just look at the car door and they're like, get in. And the dog's like, hell no, I'm not jumping in the hatchback. This is a new car. It's dark in there. I've never been in here before. No, I don't want to get in the back seat. And somebody just points again, like get in. They're just doing like, no, like move towards the vehicle with your dog. Bring the dog with you. Like you guys are a team. Create some energy heading towards this vehicle. Don't just keep repeating the same thing and pointing with more vigor and everything else. Help these dogs see what you mean. Teach them. Just like we do so often with young children. You're going to grab a child and help move them over here and show them what you mean. No, you're going to sit in your high chair. The dogs sometimes need that as well. And we're more hands-off with dogs. And I'm not quite sure why that is. But the more that they're used to us being up in their business and touching them and directing them, the better the bond is typically. Yeah. And I would say that the more hands-off you are, like if you have a Maybe you're new to to dogs and you've taken some courses in clicker training and how animals learn and how a chicken learns and how a fish, you can train a fish to do things. Um, It becomes really clinical. And when it's too sterile, there is a disconnect with with dogs because dogs are not chickens. They have the ability to get really emotional and really enjoy it. And I'm not saying a chicken can't get emotional, but... Chickens are a little more independent, yeah, I'd say. Yeah. You know? <laughs> they're, so, they're not domesticated. <laughs> so you want to create a, a meld of this cueing with if you're going to be into clicker training and also the physical and make sure that the dog is having fun because you can get dogs to do a lot of stuff with a clicker or a bell, you know, and it's and yes, they are learning, do this and I get this treat and however method you're working. At, at quite often, you're sacrificing the relationship between yes. you and the dog. So yes. you need to have both. You got to have, uh, ideally for me, 
I want to have a little of everything. Yeah, and if it feels awkward to you, and I get it, like, Scott and I have been doing dogs for a while, right? Like, it doesn't feel that awkward to us. We're pretty, like, used to getting in there and rubbing elbows and, like, moving around how we want with dogs. If you are a person that feels more on the spot and you feel more inhibited and everything else, just video yourself and video, okay, when I worked with the dog like this in the session, what did the dog look like? It doesn't have to go on social media. It doesn't have to go anywhere, but you'll learn a lot about yourself and your training and the dog you're working with and the methods that work for you personally and certain dogs that you work with personally if you see how the dog responds. And it's really nice to just be able to like have a snapshot of a session and be like, wow, that worked really great. Like the dog really responded well there. And like, oh, I could be maybe, you know, a little more obvious there in my cueing. So be conscious of that because I understand that some people are just like, I don't like to have my hands flying all over. I don't like to be doing all this stuff. I just want it to be more clinical. I want it to look more clean, but sometimes you have to bring a little more. And I would say if you're, if you care enough to videotape a session with you working with your dog, chances are your dog's working pretty well already (laughs) because people just don't, go the extra mile ever when it comes to working with their dog. They want a dog that works when they need it to work, but they're not really excited about the training part. And I'm generalizing, but this is based on a lot of clients that I see. And I don't blame them. I tell everybody when I walk in the door, you didn't get the dog to become a dog trainer. I understand that. You wanted a companion. You wanted a dog for the kids. But there's ways of getting this dog to work with you and with the kids that doesn't involve a, a lot of extra time at all because you're putting time in. It's just the, the quality of how you're interacting with the dog is what we need to focus on. Yeah, 100%. You guys, if you have not thought much about <clears throat> queuing systems and not thought much about all of these different options, start thinking about it as you're interacting with your dog, as you're hiking with your dog, as you're doing little training sessions with your dog, as you're doing your daily routines with your dog. I really think that your dog could benefit. Why not give them as much feedback as possible? I feel like when they're learning and when we want them to work with us, your dog may benefit from more. So give them a little bit more. Yeah, one thing I wanted to say about, you know, everyone loves to have their dog on a verbal cue. It's easy. You don't have to make any gestures. You don't have to get up off the couch. You're sitting there drinking your beer and telling the dog to do stuff and they do it. That's, I guess that's the ideal. But just because your dog knows the verbal cue, and this is typical, they understand all these behaviors in the kitchen because maybe Mm -hmm. that's where you trained it. You take them outdoors, they don't do anything. It's not, it's because it needs to be generalized, which means you go back to the physical gestures to help when you're in a new environment yeah. just to help the dog. And I'm talking about a new dog, a greener dog in their understanding. And even with more experienced dogs, you can put them in a situation they haven't been before. Use the physical gesture along with the cue or even before the cue. But if you see a disconnect there because they're preoccupied with their feet because they're standing on mud or gravel or Tile. a puddle, something that they're like, this sucks. I'm not sure what's up here. They're not going to be responding to phys- physical or verbal cues if they're real young and they're understanding and whatnot. Yeah, that's you know? true. When it gets tricky, go back to the foundation. All right, you guys, thank you so, so much for joining us this Wednesday. We are so excited. We got a fun episodes coming up, a lot of fun guests coming up, and we are looking forward to serving you more. In the meantime, keep, keep it, it quirky. quirky. Thanks, guys. Take care. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.